Let's pray and ask God to help us understand his word. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for giving us your word, the Bible. Please help us to understand how we can put our trust in Jesus and be saved tonight. Please help us uh, by your word. Please teach us, rebuke us, correct us, train us in righteousness that we may be thoroughly equipped to live our lives pleasing to you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Who would be a missionary? I mean, it would be really hard, wouldn't it? As a missionary, you would have to be a Christian all the time. You'd have to keep the message about Jesus on the agenda all the time. You'd have to be always looking for opportunities. You'd be constantly out of your comfort zone. You'd face all kinds of challenges. You might even face opposition. You might even face persecution. The other day, a pastor told me about a missionary couple. They'd been on the mission field for 10 years. They came to him and they said, that's enough. We're retiring. We can't cope with the stress anymore. We can't cope with the opposition anymore. We can't cope with the constant division that comes when we talk about Jesus. They said, we're finished talking about Jesus. We're finished trying to convince people to become Christians. It's too painful, too tiring, too hard. We're retiring. I'm sure you're like me in this. I just want a peaceful life. I can relate. I'm tired. Who would want to be a missionary? Who would need all the stress? Here in Acts chapter 14, we're following Paul and Barnabas, the first ever missionaries on the first ever evangelistic missionary trip. Now, in a moment, a map is going to magically appear up there. I've forgotten to bring my little clicker, though. Oh, that's sad. I had this really neat little clicker thing that I could... Does that, does that point do a pointing thing? Um, I'm not sure. Top button. Top button? Oh, how exciting. Yeah. Okay, yes. Uh, so, the big blob up here, that's the technical geographical term. The big blob up here is modern day Turkey. So, that's pretty much where we are. We start over here in Antioch. You see it there? That's in, uh, it's modern Turkey, but it's close to Syria. This is Syria in modern terms. They head from Antioch to Seleucia, down from Seleucia to this island of Cyprus. They start in Salamis and move down towards Paphos. From there, they go up to Perga. And then up to another place called Antioch, but different Antioch. This is Pisidian Antioch. And that's where the big sermon was that we saw last week. Remember, they got kicked out of Antioch and they went down to Iconium. From there, they got chased away again. And now we're into chapter, four, uh, chapter 14 is Iconium. And then today we'll see them go down to Lystra. And then across, as they get uh, thrown out of Lystra, into Derby. And then they make their way back home again. But they don't, uh, don't go sort of straight across to Antioch. They go back through the churches. So from Derby to Lystra to Iconium to Antioch to Atalia, which is just near Perga, and then from Atalia back across to Antioch. That's this first ever evangelistic missionary trip. I don't know what to do with it now. So.
Paul, Paul and Barnabas, they're travelling around and they're telling people about Jesus. And on the way, we've seen, you may remember from last week, a consistent pattern. Uh, some Jews are becoming Christians, which is what you expect. Christianity is for Jews. But to quote chapter 14 and verse 27, where this whole missionary trip is summarised, to quote chapter 14 and verse 27, the amazing thing is, God is opening the door of faith to Gentiles, to non-Jews as well as to Jews. That's causing some headaches. It's causing some opposition. Some of the Jews are not happy about the gospel going out to Gentiles. They're trying to stop Paul and Barnabas from telling Gentiles about Jesus. Now, we looked very briefly at what happened in Iconium last week. Let's just have another quick look. Chapter 14 and verse 1, if you look with me there, you can see chapter 14 and verse 1, Paul and Barnabas go to the Jewish synagogue. They speak effectively. Many Jews and many Gentiles become Christians. But some of the Jews refuse to believe. They try to stop the Gentiles from becoming Christians. So, verse 3, because there are many opportunities and because there's opposition, it says there, Paul and Barnabas stick around. They're not scared off. They bravely keep on going. But there's division. Eventually, you can see there's a plot to stone Paul and Barnabas to death. And so they have to leave. Let's pick it up from verse 4. Acts chapter 14 and verse 4. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to ill-treat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lycaonian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the good news. As this true message about Jesus is preached, it creates division. Some people believe and they are transformed, but, but other people hate the message. The authentic Christian message is divisive. It can lead to opposition, even from governing and religious authorities. I mean, their mandate is to keep the peace. And so they will oppose divisive things like the gospel. That's what happened in Iconium. And of course, it's still true today, isn't it? As people go out and tell the authentic biblical message about Jesus, it still creates division. As people rely on Jesus, as people find God's forgiveness, they're changed, they're transformed, their, their, their lifestyle is changed, their loyalties are changed. Now they want to live for the Jesus who, who, who lived and died and rose again for, for them. But some people hate the message. They hate other people becoming Christians. They, they, they hate Jesus and what he stands for and what he does for people. They, they hate evangelists. And so they work with the authorities to stop evangelism. It is remarkably common today. There are many, many countries in the world today where it is illegal, illegal to become a Christian, where it's illegal to do what is called proselytizing, that is, trying to encourage other people to become Christians. It's illegal in China today. In fact, it's illegal in any communist country you can name. It's illegal in Malaysia. It's illegal in Indonesia. It's illegal in any Muslim country you can name. And it's even happening here in Australia as we gradually cave into relativism and political correctness. In Victoria, it's now illegal to criticise other religions. It's illegal to say that other religions are wrong and false and Christianity is right and true. 
It's illegal to say that people from other religions need to give up their false religions and become Christians. Christian pastors have been sued. They've been found guilty for criticising Islam and saying that Muslims need to become Christians. And there are people here in New South Wales who want to bring in the same kind of legislation. And so, well, who'd want to be a missionary? Who'd want to have to cope with this constant division that you're creating all the time? Who'd want to make people angry? Who'd want to have trouble with the authorities? It makes me feel tired just thinking about it. Paul and Barnabas head on down to Lystra. And Paul faces a very similar situation there to the one that the Apostle Peter faced back in chapter 3. He comes across a man who's been crippled since birth. And Paul does exactly what Peter did. He heals the cripple miraculously. No six weeks in a cast, no six months of physiotherapy. One second he's been crippled since birth. The next second he's jumping up and walking around. He's fully healed. It is a miracle. And what it is, it's God's way of showing that Paul is an accredited witness to Jesus, just like Peter is. Paul is a real apostle, just like Peter is. Acts chapter 14 and verse 8. In Lystra there sat a man crippled in his feet, who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. The crowd, the crowd are amazed. They are really impressed by Paul and Barnabas. They're impressed by this miracle. They're impressed by what they're saying. And, and they're willing to accept Paul and Barnabas. But they accept them on their own terms. You see, these people have no background in the Bible. For the first time, what we're seeing here is out-and-out out idolaters. These are people who follow the, uh, the gods of ancient Greek and Roman mythology. And so they decide that Paul and Barnabas must be gods, Zeus and Hermes. They, they incorporate the evangelists into their pre-existing framework of idolatry. Verse 11. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lycaonian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. You know, you still see reactions something like this today as the, the genuine message of Jesus is proclaimed. Some people are willing to accept it, but only on their own terms. They, they will try to fit the message into their own pre-existing framework. It is very easy to get a Hindu to accept Jesus. Hindus already believe in thousands of gods and they're usually quite happy to add Jesus to their list. Or I heard a comedian recently talking about a trip that he had to Jerusalem. He said it's the most irreligious place he's ever seen. But he said people there will accept any religion as long as it makes them money. That's their real religion. 
He went to a seller of religious artifacts and he said, here's what I'm looking for. I want a head of Jesus, but I want it made into a juicer so I can squeeze oranges on it. He thought he was being funny, but the bloke said, I'm sorry, I don't have this, but this is excellent idea. I will make this. I will call it King of the Juice. <laughs> I thought it was funny. <laughs> Or another true story, one time my auntie was in Jerusalem. Uh, a bloke came to her selling crucifixes. She said, I'm sorry, I'm not interested, I'm Jewish. Uh, the uh, crucifix salesman pulled out a Star of David and said, so am I. Would you like to buy a Star of David? <laughs> People are very happy with the kind, of Jesus that the kind of Jesus that they can have on their own terms that they can fit into to their own framework and their own comfort and their own ways of thinking. It even happens here in Australia. Lots of people on the North Shore send their children off to Christian schools because they want their children to have a nice moral education. They assume that's what Christianity is all about and they're happy to accept it on those terms. Or people are happy to accept the sort of Christianity that does social work. I love the salvos, they'll say. They're the real Christians, helping the poor and needy. Or last week we talked about relativism. You tell people you're a Christian and they say, Oh, how lovely for you. Isn't that nice that it's, it, it's true for you? I hope it's helpful to you. People are happy to accept Christianity as one truth among many. It is quite possible to get people to accept Christianity without a fight. It's quite possible to, to preach a kind of Christianity that won't ruffle any feathers, that won't create any division, that won't cause you any trouble at all. As long as people can have Jesus on their own terms, they're fine. That's what happened for Paul and Barnabas in Lystra. The people accepted them and their message within their system of idolatry. But when Paul and Barnabas work out what's going on, they are horrified. They don't, they don't try to work with this acceptable version of Christianity. They don't try to do what the theologians call contextualizing. They don't say, oh yes, we are rather like Zeus and Hermes. And, uh, and we're telling you about Jesus. He's a God of love, rather like Venus, really. No way. They say, we are not gods. We are just ordinary men like you. And we are here to tell you about the true God. The God who made everything. The God who gives you everything. We're here to turn you away from these worthless, ridiculous myths like Zeus and Hermes. In fact, we're here to tell you that your whole religious system is a load of garbage and you've got to find the true God. You see, he let you go for a while, but now is the time. Look with me, verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. 
yet he's not left himself without testimony. He's shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. They managed to stop the crowd sacrificing to them, but the crowd aren't exactly happy. I mean, imagine how you'd feel. Two blokes come down to your town, they do an impressive miracle, they, they speak nicely, and you give them the highest compliment you can think of. You accept them as gods. You're even willing to offer sacrifices to them. But then they turn around and they tell you you're being an idiot. They say your whole religion is worthless. They, they scorn your worship, they scorn your kindness, they scorn your hospitality, they scorn your religion, and they go on with some nonsense about how you're going to have to follow their God. You'd be cranky, wouldn't you? You'd be offended. Well, it's right at this point that some people from the last town, from Iconian, show up. So some of those people who had been trying to stone Paul and Barnabas. The offended Lystrans, they're pretty easily convinced to join in. And so we see the same pattern that we saw last week with uh, the Jewish sorcerer, do you remember, with the Jews in Pisidian Antioch and with Iconium. The Jews oppose Paul and Barnabas. They try to hinder, to stop the Gentiles from becoming Christians. This time they do stone Paul. It's only by God's grace that he survives at all. And so once again he has to move on. He, I guess, staggers the 90 kilometres southeast to Derby. Verse 18, verse 18. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered round him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Again, this sort of stuff happens today. People... People might be willing to accept Jesus on their own terms, but, but if you challenge their terms, if you challenge their framework with the real Jesus, they'll be offended. If you tell a Hindu that Jesus is the only way to be accepted by the only true God, you'll offend them. If you tell a Hindu not only that they have to accept Jesus, but that they've then got to turn away from the thousands of false gods, you'll offend them. You could end up. Burned to death like Graham Staines and his family. Or you uh, speak to some seller of idols in Jerusalem. You tell him that Jesus is not some idol to be made and sold by materialistic uh, thieves. You'll offend them. You'll offend them. Uh, some kids get converted at Christian schools on the North Shore. And the parents are offended. They just wanted a nice moral education. The last thing they wanted from a Christian school was any Christianity. The last thing they wanted from a Christian school was for their kids to get all religious and fanatical on them. They're offended. People love the salvos when they're helping the poor. But when they start talking about salvation... People are offended. 
I remember a, a friend of my mum's who decided that she wanted to do some social work, so she joined the Salvation Army and she uh, came down to the front to what was called a penitence class, a class for penitents, people who are penitent. And my mum had told me that uh, her, her friend had become a Christian, so I said to her, oh, it's fantastic, you, are, are you penitent? You, you came forward, she said, oh, I'm, not, uh, I'm not a sinner or anything like that. I haven't done anything wrong. I said, well, perhaps you could start with the idea of coming forward as a penitent when you're not penitent, if you want a list of sins. But she was offended by the idea of salvation, interested in social work, but offended by the concept of Jesus and sin and salvation. Or try talking to a relativist and having this sort of conversation. Yeah, it is nice that Jesus is true for me, but he's not just true for me. He's true for you too. You need to give up your relativism because you are in the wrong with God. You need to rely on the true Jesus, otherwise you cannot be right with God. I can tell you now they will be offended if you challenge their framework. So, so who want to be a missionary? Who would want to have to challenge people with the real Jesus? Who'd want to have to break down people's dearly, dearly held misconceptions? It all sounds way too hard. So much easier to, to just let people believe what they want and live in peace, isn't it? Paul and Barnabas stagger across to Derby. They tell the people there about Jesus. And then they retrace their steps. They head back home. They go back through the places they've been. They, they meet with the Christians in the churches that they've planted. And they encourage them to keep on going. They encourage them to keep holding on to what they call the faith. That is, the, the, the body of teaching that the apostles originally gave them. The, the, the original, genuine message about Jesus. The message that we've got in, in the New Testament. They, they told them to stick with it. Verse 21. They preached the good news in, in that city, in Derby, and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And it's at this point that Paul and Barnabas say something, well, something stunning, something really uncomfortable, something that you and I don't want to hear. Paul and Barnabas tell the church what will happen if they stick with the genuine faith. If they stick with the real Jesus and the real apostolic message about Jesus. They say, they say there's going to be trouble. It's not just going to be hard for missionaries. Paul and Barnabas say it'll be hard for genuine Christians everywhere. Halfway through verse 22, here's what Paul and Barnabas say to the churches, to the ordinary Christians, so-called. Halfway through verse 22, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Whoa. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I can see why Paul and Barnabas have to go through many hardships on their way to heaven. That's because they're the missionaries. But that's not the we in verse 22, is it? 
They're not saying we missionaries must go through many hardships. They're saying we genuine Christians must go through many hardships on the way to heaven. They're not saying it's going to be hard for us because we're the special different missionaries, but, but you, you're the cushy North Shore Christians. No, they say we're all in the same boat here. We're all in the same boat here. And that's why they appoint elders to the churches. To, to help them stick with the apostolic teaching. To help them be the kind of genuine Christians who will stand up and bring about persecution. To help them be the sort of genuine Christians who will then face that persecution and endure it and make it to the end to God's kingdom. They get elders to help them. And then secondly, Paul and Barnabas pray for these Christians. They commit them to God. They even fast. It is so vital that they pray for these churches. They even give up meals to do it. We have a, a prayer breakfast here at church. Perhaps we should change it to just a prayer fast. Because it's going to be tough. The Christians will need God's help. The Christians will need God's strength if they're going to keep going. Verse 23 again. See the resources that are given to the churches. They appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they put their trust. Paul and Barnabas make their way back through the places they've been until they finally get home to Antioch in Syria. Verse 24. After going through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. When they preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch where they'd been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. In Antioch, they have uh, furlough, so to speak. They report on their mission. No doubt, like all good missionaries, they give a painfully long slideshow presentation and, uh, and they tell what happened. They summarise it. They say, God has opened the door. Gentiles are becoming Christians. Verse 27. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Okay. Who would want to be a missionary? It is tough. The real message about Jesus is divisive. People cannot just accept it on their own terms. They need to accept it as it is. And so it will create opposition as well as adherence. It's hard to be a missionary. It means going through many hardships. But do you know what? Here's the twist. Here's the, the twist in this passage. That's the call here for all Christians. Paul and Barnabas were clear about it. Genuine Christians must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. That's what Paul and Barnabas experienced themselves, yes, but that's what they told the churches to expect. All genuine Christians will go through hardships. There aren't two categories. There aren't the missionaries who face hardships because they're the fair income Christians, but then the, the ordinary North Shore Christians who live cushy, peaceful lives. We're all expected to face hardships. Why? Why? Well, because in one sense we're all missionaries. 
We are missionaries where we are. If you claim to be a Christian, if you claim to be a follower of the Lord Jesus, then you're on a mission. Whether you like it or not, you are representing Jesus to the people in your life. Now, you might be a bad missionary. You might be the sort of missionary who keeps silent about Jesus. The sort of wimpish missionary who never causes a stir. Who goes on with some cowardly rubbish about Christianity being a private thing. Or you might be the sort of missionary who quietly lets people accept Jesus on their own terms. You, you never challenge people's misconceptions. You let them just drift happily off to hell without ever knowing any better. You might be a compromising, unfaithful missionary. You might be the kind of Christian who's, who's trying to avoid many hardships to enter the kingdom of God instead of going through them, like Paul and Barnabas said. But we can't get away with it, can we? This passage won't let us get away with it. Because if we hold on to the genuine apostolic message about Jesus, then we are missionaries where we are. And the challenge here, the challenge here is to be faithful. With the help of our elders and with the help of our God, the challenge here is to be faithful missionaries. The challenge is not to seek a peaceful life, but a faithful life. To be the kind of missionaries who do live for Jesus all the time. To be the kind of missionaries who do talk about Jesus, who have Jesus on the agenda, who are trying to make opportunities and take opportunities to talk about Jesus. To be the kind of missionaries who are, who are at least willing to question people's misconceptions and go, is that really right that everything is true? The challenge is to be the kind of missionaries who, who will then face the consequences with bravery and with grace. Who'd be a missionary? It's the wrong question to ask, isn't it? You are a missionary. You can't escape it and still be a Christian. You can't retire from it until you retire into God's kingdom. The Bible is clear. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And so the question is not, do you want to be a missionary? The question is, what kind of missionary are you? What kind of missionary what kind of missionary are you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your mercy to us in the Lord Jesus. We thank and praise you that you love us, that you have given Christ to die for us, that in him we have full forgiveness, full salvation. We thank and praise you, Heavenly Father, for the privilege that we are now co-workers with you, representatives, ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ here on this earth. Our Father, please help us to be faithful to our calling. Help us not to be scared. Help us to be brave and bold and faithful. Please fill us with your spirit because we are unwilling and unable to do this on our own. Please be with our elders. Help them to be godly and faithful examples to us. Give them the strength to be faithful Christians who lead the way for us. And please... Give us your help and your strength so that we can be the sort of Christians who will stand up and stand out for the Lord Jesus and who will then stand firm to the end. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.